Go West, young man. This classic slogan, which fans of American history will no doubt recognize, came into widespread use in the early 19th century, and has since become synonymous with the concept of manifest destiny, or the supposed God-given right of Americans to expand their territory westward. It's a phrase that, in the years since, has come to be used sarcastically, as it holds negative implications for the country's indigenous populations. Still, there are four words that many Americans of the period took to heart, in which they'd hop into covered wagons and brave the virgin territories that seemed to extend endlessly from the heavily populated areas along the eastern seaboard. But the subject of today's episode didn't heed these words. Indeed, if the slogan could be reworked in his favor, it'd say, Go East, young man. For while he was born in the United States, he spent most of his life abroad, traveling extensively throughout the East and fighting for causes of which most Americans were completely oblivious at the time. I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and be sure to have your passport, compass, and knapsack ready, because we're going on an adventure of a lifetime with a truly extraordinary American, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. In the opening paragraph of his classic travelogue, Travels with Charlie, American author John Steinbeck described the allure of traveling as follows. Four hoarse blasts of a ship's whistle still raise the hair on my neck and set my feet to tapping. The sound of a jet, an engine warming up, even the clopping of shod hooves on pavement brings on the ancient shudder, the dry mouth and vacant eye, the hot palms and the churn of stomach high up under the ribcage. To quote Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty, this guy gets it. For many, the idea of exploring the farthest reaches and remote corners of the globe is something far too tantalizing to ignore. It's a call that has resonated throughout history with the likes of Marco Polo, Ibn Battuta, and Xuanzang, among countless others, and certainly captivated the imagination of a young Alexander Gardner. Alexander Houghton Campbell Gardner was born on a farm in the wilds of what's now Wisconsin in 1785 to a Scottish immigrant father and a mother of mixed English and Spanish heritage. Little is known of his early life and formative years. Nothing of note comes down to us until his 14th year, at which time he traveled to Ireland, where he spent a three-year sojourn, though it's unclear what he did there during that time. In 1812, he returned to the United States, but his stay wouldn't last long. Upon learning of the death of his father, he set sail yet again, this time for continental Europe. After making all the classic stops in such places as Spain, France, and Germany, he decided to venture eastward to the city of Astrakhan in southern Russia, where his brother was both living and working. Five years later, however, his sibling too passed away. With no known family or relations left, Gardner attempted to secure a position within the Russian army, though this would ultimately prove in vain. Ever the restless spirit, he'd spend the next 13 years traveling extensively throughout Central Asia. By the early 1820s, he found himself in far-off Afghanistan. At the time, the country was mired in civil war, as succession to the throne was being contested by one Habib Ullah Khan against his uncle, the ruler Dost Mohammed Khan. In 1823, Gardner was captured by Habib Ullah's forces and was ultimately recruited to the prince's cause as a commander of 180 of his finest cavalrymen. Following an attack on a caravan of Afghan Muslim pilgrims on their way to Mecca, Gardner married one of the captives, a local woman, and the pair went on to live in a fort in mountainous Parvan province, where she bore him a son. For the first time in his life, it appeared as if some sense of stability had finally arrived. But said stability, and happiness for that matter, were to be short-lived. For three years later, in 1826, Ula Habib was defeated. Thus, Dost Mohammed led a nationwide purge of Ula Habib supporters, and it wasn't long before the emir arrived in Gardner's doorstep. Taking him hostage, Gardner watched in horror as his wife and son were murdered before his very eyes. 
Though the details have been lost, Gardner was ultimately able to escape Dos Mohammed's clutches, fleeing north with 12 other former captives. Near the Oxus River in the region that had been known in antiquity as Bactria, they were attacked by a band of some 50 horsemen. Eight of the escapees were killed, leaving the remaining five, Gardner included, to escape, though they each sustained some injuries. From there, the survivors made their way northeast to the region of Badakhshan that straddles the border between Afghanistan, Tajikistan, and China. There they settled for a time in the Kokcha Valley, eking out a meager existence until further opportunities presented themselves. Here, the account of Gardner's life becomes a bit hazy, as little information from this period survives to the present day. From what we know, he spent the next six years or so straddling the border between Afghanistan and Tajikistan, no doubt taking on various odd jobs in order to sustain himself. In 1830, he returned, briefly, to Afghanistan proper, where he visited the remote and mountainous region of Kafiristan, wedged between the Hindu Kush and the Chitral district of Pakistan to the east. It's quite likely that Gardner was among the first Westerners to visit the region, as the last white men slash Europeans of note to cross this treacherous territory had been Alexander the Great and his armies way back in the 4th century BC. A year later, in August of 1831, he had become an outlaw and left Afghanistan for the Punjab region of neighboring Pakistan and northern India, making a living robbing caravans or lone travelers of their possessions. It was during this tenure as a criminal that he soon found himself in the service of one Ranjit Singh, the Maharaja of the Sikh Empire, an independent and sovereign state that, at its height, ruled over the entirety of Punjab as well as much of northern India, from the Khyber Pass in Pakistan in the west to Tibet in the east. Gardner was first appointed commandant of artillery, before, eventually, being employed directly in the service of Singh himself, completely unaware that he ultimately emerged as a hero to the Sikhs. At the time, the Sikh Empire, which had been founded in 1799, was the last bastion of Indian independence in the entire subcontinent, as much of the rest of the country had slowly but surely been consolidated under British rule by the British East India Company. The Sikhs, therefore, were the last to hold out, engaging in not one, but two Anglo-Sikh wars, as such conflicts have come to be called. For much of their existence, the Sikhs had always been fiercely independent, while the homeland and the Punjab region exchanged hands multiple times between key Indian power players from the founding of Sikhism in the 15th century, they not only led several revolts against these powers, but also maintained their unique cultural and religious identity. While the British posed a much larger threat than anything they'd come up against before, they once again intended to stand and fight, or die trying. So it was that Gardner found himself one of anywhere between 30 and 100 Western soldiers in Ranjit Singh's army. He fought valiantly alongside not just Sikhs, but also Hindus and Muslims, each of whom were eager to keep the British at bay and from advancing further into Sikh imperial jurisdiction. Impressed by Gardner's level of skill and bravery, the Maharaja promoted him to the rank of colonel, a post he'd hold even after Singh's passing in 1839. While he fought in many campaigns in both Anglo-Sikh wars, engaging especially in hand-to-hand -hand combat, his most famous and heroic venture was in 1841, when he single-handedly saved the city of Lahore, the empire's major cultural center and commercial hub in what's now Pakistan, from an enemy advance. Upon seeing the approaching British, who outnumbered them, with their guns and cannons blazing, the Sikh forces retreated, though Gardner stood his ground. Loading one of the big guns, which were so large they had to be pulled by elephants, he fired on the enemy, killing some 300 troops in the process. It was during this campaign that he sustained some 14 injuries, which would plague him throughout the remainder of his life. Most notably of these was a gash in his throat that caused him to place a pair of forceps around his neck whenever he ate or drank something. Oof. 
Gardner would remain in the service of successive Maharajas of the Sikh Empire until its ultimate downfall at the hands of the British in 1849, at which time he retired to the city of Jammu in the Kashmir region of northern India. There he began working on his memoirs, recounting his exploits to a collection of curious biographers. Excerpts from his journal were published in various newspapers throughout Europe and America, but were deemed so outlandish and far-fetched that they were dismissed as fiction at first. It wasn't until after his death in 1877 that his complete memoirs were published in book form under the title of Soldier and Traveler, Memoirs of Alexander Gardner. The book sparked renewed interest in his fantastical exploits, and would even go on to inspire the likes of Rudyard Kipling in his own 1888 novella, The Man Who Would Be King. When we talk about Alexander Gardner, we're not just talking about a man with the desire to see and experience the world, though he certainly had that as well. Instead, we're talking about a man who saw suffering and tyranny in the places he visited, and rose to the challenge to face them, no matter the cost. Perhaps it had something to do with his being American, of which the values of freedom and liberty play an integral part in shaping the culture and identity. Or maybe it was simply the type of person he was, someone who couldn't stand to turn a blind eye to such injustices. Regardless, he remains a larger-than-life, if oft-overlooked, figure in history, and should be an example and inspiration to anyone who wishes to set about changing the world. Hello everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I don't know about you, but hearing Alexander Gardner's story makes me want to embark on an adventure of my own. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support this podcast, please consider making a monthly contribution. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click support. From there you'll be shown three monthly support plans that fit your budget. Listening and sharing also help me out as well, so please do so on all streaming slash podcast platforms. Join me again next week as we take a look at a surprising lost civilization in ancient Spain, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time. <laughs>